Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Betsy Kulikowski, author of the Veritas Codex series, and you're listening to Ghost in the Valley podcast. Best-selling paranormal thriller author, Betsy Kulikowski. Welcome back to the show, Betsy. Oh, thank you so much, Al. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on. I mean, uh, since the last time you've been on, I've read books one, two, and three of the uh, Veritas Codex series. I have yet to order four, five, and six. Oh, we're just to uh, the first half of the first half. So Yeah, which, which I'm going to do. Uh, what I do is I, I go back and forth with the books from other authors that's mm-hmm. been on the show. And so I don't lose track of whose character and which book. Makes good sense to me. <laughs> right. If I, if I read a 10-part series books, I mean, I'm going to totally forget about who Lauren and <laughs> the other <laughs> cast characters are. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're coming here hopefully before Christmas. But what's been going on with you for the last uh, couple of years? Well, we uh, we now have six books in the Veritas Codex series. I am currently working on a rewrite for book seven. I already have first drafts for the next four books. So my plan is for at least another six books, and then we'll reevaluate and see where we go from here. I've also been writing another, I wrote another thriller that's not paranormal, but I wrote a thriller that is related to my uh, day job, which is occupational safety. I have an OSHA inspector who is involved in the human trafficking case. And so I'm in the process now of revising that and getting it ready to start uh, figuring out my path to publication. So it's uh, busy in the writer's shed today. Oh, really? Definitely. Uh, so that one that you're writing, is, uh, is that going to be based on a true story or? No, it's uh, it's not. It's completely fictional. Uh, there are little snippets of real life things that will be uh, come into play with that. I have worked in the safety field for 30 <clears throat> 30 years and, <laughs> and some. And so I've had a lot of experiences, most of which I can't talk about, but uh, I've been able to fictionalize it and uh, really have a lot of fun with the characters. Uh, it's a it's a roller coaster from start to finish. And it has one of these endings that 
even kind of left me surprised. So I'm really hoping I can get that out uh, within the next year or so. But uh, the Veritas Codex is my first love. I'm going to get it going and keep it rolling. So hopefully we'll have another book out uh, early next year. Fingers crossed. Okay. So what actually inspired you to be, uh, to become a best-selling writer? I mean, what led you to that, into that path? Well, it started with writing when I was six. I think I was six years old when I wrote my first book and it was just, you know, cardboard cover, crayon illustrations, um, just something I was always interested in. My grandfather was a wonderful storyteller and I kind of get that from him. I used to love to curl up on his good arm and listen to his yarns that he'd tell me when I was trying to fall asleep at night. And so I always kind of wanted to tell my own. So I started writing and I've always had the bug. I think I've always been writing throughout my life. I've written, you know, a lot of bad stuff. Uh, the plan to become a best-selling author really came into fruition when I decided uh, that I needed to get out of my own way and let my books come out because I was really kind of afraid what people would think. Because when you write about aliens and Bigfoot and the bizarre and unusual, you never really know how people will take it. But I found my tribe. I found my community. I found people who really love that genre. It was just a thrill to me when my first book came out. Uh, I hit bestseller on a couple of lists within a year. And uh, I've hit it a couple of times since then. So, you know, that's that's been a lot of fun. Okay. So why the Veritas Kodak series? I mean, what led you into that direction? Oh, well, I was uh, I was kind of in between writing projects and I was watching, um, I want to say it was Destination Truth about three o'clock in the morning one night when I couldn't sleep. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, we're seven seasons into this show and we've never find anything. And then I thought, well, you know what, maybe they have found something, but it was something they couldn't tell us about. So that kind of became the, the nexus for this book series. Uh, you know, the truth is out there, but some truths were never meant to be told. So that's really kind of where that started. I mean, because you go from Bigfoot to aliens, I mean, the Jaguar Queen. I mean, um, how do you come up with uh, what direction to go with uh, in the series? You know, sometimes that's the hardest part is to focus on one thing at a time because I want to pull all these different paranormal elements into it. I'm really interested in everything that's related to the paranormal. Some cryptids I like better than others. I don't claim to be a big Mothman fan, but we don't have a lot of Mothman here in Oklahoma, but we do have Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, that was my first monster, the first monster I remember growing up. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of where the book series started was we're going to go find Bigfoot. After that, it was uh, when, the, when I was writing the Jaguar Queen, it's all about the Mayan apocalypse. It was right about the time that it was 2011, 2012, that I started getting the idea for that book. I wanted to kind of tie into that, that, I mean, it was just a huge draw to that because there was so, so much speculation that that was going to be the end of the world. And, you know, my, my mind in the, in, in the background, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, when my calendar runs out at the end of the year, I just go buy a new one. So <laughs> why wouldn't the minds just go carve a new one? <laughs> so that's, that was kind of the nexus for that. And then I've always loved aliens and, and book three was really more a personal story for my main character, Lauren Grayson. She has a brother who's been the fly in her ointment her whole entire life. I really wanted to tell that story uh, about them having to come together to work towards a common goal. And he'd always said that he was going to find aliens before she did. So the story really has to deal with him and her having to work together because there is evidence of aliens. They have to find it before they become in danger. So that was really kind of where that came from. Book four is The Monk's Grimoire, and it's all about the Devil's Codex, which is a real book. Uh, there's a whole lore behind it and how it came to be. 
the story for my book was my publisher and I had been throwing around book titles before book one came out. Of course, the title that you come up with is never the title that they want to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he was the one that proposed something to do with Veritas because truth is really the theme behind everything. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how about the Veritas Codex? Because Lauren has this journal that she keeps all these records in. And he says, okay, we'll go with that. And he says, well, wouldn't it be interesting if all the books had codex in it? I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be hard, but it'd be awesome. Uh-huh. But that made me think of the devil's codex. And I thought, okay, so I need to write a book with the devil's codex. So that's where book four came from. And I actually wrote that book in 23 days. Wow. I am a very efficient typist and I had a long weekend with nothing better to do. And in uh, three days with probably 14 pots of coffee. I uh, managed to gin out about 78,000 words. (laughs) Actually that weekend, I only put in about 20,000, but it took me the rest of the month to figure out how to end it. So that's probably the fastest I've ever written a book. Then book five was the Lost Templars. And I have a whole family history of my own with the Templars descended from Henry Sinclair. So the records lead us to believe uh, relation to Robert the Bruce. So I always had a thing about the temple lore Uh, I'm a big fan of any Masonic legend, Templar legend, things like that. So I thought, well, we have to have a Templar story and I like time travel. So we'll find a, find a way to find some Templars. And then book six is the pirate's curse. My high school mascot was the pirate. I've always kind of been fancy to pirates. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my husband and I actually went to our, on our honeymoon to the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) And so I thought, well, you know, we need to go to the Bermuda Triangle and and find some lost pirates. And, you know, there's a curse on them. And, and uh, that's, that was probably the funnest one to write because there's some very emotional scenes in it, but there's also a lot of humor in that one. So it was kind of a, kind of a cleanser for, you know, the palate for the reader, um, kind of leave them with the mid-season break <laughs> while I work on the seventh book, which is uh, not going to be so lighthearted. And it's called The King's Ransom. You said what took, took you, what, 23 days to write that book? Uh, the first one. The uh, first, I'm sorry, the fourth one. The fourth, the fourth one, took one 23 days. Yeah. 23 days. Yeah. This one's taken a little longer. <laughs> yeah, it's taken me 55 years to write my book. I'm still not done. <laughs> <laughs> you promised me last time we talked that I'd be finished. Right. You know, and I keep going back and uh, since mine's based on a true story, you know, yeah, uh, it's so tough. Like uh, my sister will bring up something. Oh, did you mention this? Like, oh my God. I forgot about that. You know? Yeah. That's, uh, that's the hard part about writing about true uh, stories. Even if you fictionalize them, you still right, want to right. get the facts right, which I'm, right. I'm a big stickler for that. You know, what I, what I love about the, your series is that it's not the same old, same old in each book. There's a touch of uh, the past, you know, in the other mm-hmm. books. But it's a whole new journey. Yeah. You don't know where you're going to go next with the next book. And sometimes even I don't know where we're going to go next with the next book. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm a big history buff, so I try to be as, as accurate as I can with the history. But there's a few times where I've taken some creative liberties, we'll say. And I know where I'm blurring the line. And I did it on purpose in most cases. If I, if I mess up, I'll admit it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, that's the life of an author is we, you know, you can't tell me my book is wrong. It's fiction. Right. And that's from your brain, you know, so exactly. Um, I mean, I have to tell my listeners and everybody listening to this episode that I'll have the links to all your books at the bottom of this episode, because I'll check them out because I'm a loyal follower of you. And, you. Uh, and like I said before, these three books I've read so far definitely leads me into buying the rest of them. And also, I've got to mention, they're very well-priced. I mean, for the page count and what yeah. and the quality, because uh, I've had some books, you know, that had 
half that page count, double the price. Right. And, uh, and I just like your style of writing. I think you're really yeah. great. Yeah. That was one of the things my publisher and I talked about early on, you know, pricing it reasonably because, you know, most authors don't get rich, you know, even a best-selling author, when your book is 99 cents on Amazon, you're uh -huh. not going to get rich off that because you don't get to keep all of that when you're traditionally published, uh -huh. you know, there's costs and expenses with everything and it's a business. But for me, the real joy comes from knowing that people read my books and they love my stories. And if that gives me a little money to go do a little traveling and get more ideas, it's worth it to me. Uh -huh. And the books are easy to follow too. You know, uh, I didn't have to go back and reread a chapter because I got lost. Right. You know, if I did go back, it was a reread re something that really blew my socks off. <laughs> <I'd love to laughs> you know, that. like I love the part where you put in the math, uh, the uh, alien accord mm -hmm. is because the, uh, the math plays a big part in deciphering these codes from outer space. Right. You know, and I was always like, that took me back to uh, trigonometry, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and I remember telling my trig teacher, uh, what, when am I ever going to use this? I mean, <laughs> it's nonsense. I mean, it's stupid. You know, I'm just taking it for the credits. And yeah. Uh, and I, <laughs> now I got the thinking, you know, how many people on NASA, you know, use trig and, and I remember going back to, uh, mm -hmm. went to Castro, uh, West Virginia at the uh, radio satellites and members asking questions there about the one dish, you know, mm -hmm. do you have anything that goes deep into space like uh, for aliens or I can't believe my wife said, I can't believe you asked that question, <laughs> you know, but he says, you know, what's really weird is if you're sitting there and you don't hear nothing for like five hours and all of a sudden you get uh, Benny Goodman comes across, you know or an interview with uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh -huh. And then you'll hear, they start getting these little bleeps and like a, uh, like a Morse code. Uh -huh. And they start, they start deciphering that's from another, you know, dimension. You know, I thought that was like 20 years ago. Right. You know, and, I, and I thought about that when I was reading that book. It's very, very well done. A few times I went back and said, wow, I had to reread that. That's yeah. Well, I have a confession to make. <laughs> oh, I flunked every math class I ever took with one <laughs> exception statistics I do very well at. And it's because to me, statistics mean something. And, you know, I, I have, I remember making a Facebook post once I came home from work one day and I'm like, I used algebra today. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't used algebra since, uh, you know, high school. <laughs> so, yeah. so were you a scientist? Uh, I, I'm a trained uh, investigator. I'm a safety professional by trade. So I, you know, I have to calculate injury and illness rates. I have to calculate, uh, you know, there's a lot of statistics that we use in OSHA and in the Bureau of Labor Statistics. We didn't do a whole lot of our own calculations with the incidence rates and things like that. The computer would spit it out, but you have to know what to do with it. So that's where statistics has come in. Very helpful for me. Um, I did also very well in my physics class because my physics professor was a big fan of the Olympics. And it just happened to be a Winter Olympics year when I was taking this class. So everything was related to the Olympics. And I'm a big Olympics fan too. So, you know, we get into centrifugal force and he talked about the figure skaters and how they get momentum. And that meant something to me. So I did very well in my physics class. I got an A in that class. I got a B in statistics, I'll admit it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do consider myself a scientist and, and it's, you know, probably not the kind of science that people think of, but, but workplace safety is a science in itself. Yeah, because Lauren kind of reminds me of a person with the, with the facts, I mean, with the yes. proof, you know. So I just was curious if you mm -hmm. kind of like, is there a little bit of Betsy Kulikowski in, in Lauren? 
Yeah, there's a little bit of her. She she is Betsy on crack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because well, that's, she, that's she takes to everything to the extreme. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a very strong female protagonist, which is what I wanted for the story because she really was the first character that came through for me. I wanted her to be strong. I wanted to be willful. I wanted to be able to, you know, get out in the woods, catch a fish with her bare hands and bite its head off, which I can't do. I hate fish. Mm-hmm. I can catch it with my bare hands, but I'm not eating it. I'll put it back. <laughs> um, that's just not what I'm interested in. I'd much rather go dig up some roots or, you know, kill a deer. I don't, I've never killed a deer, but, you know, that's what I'd rather eat. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but Lauren is definitely all those things. She's very scientifically minded. She's a biological anthropologist. My husband asked me today, he said, do you think you'd want to go back and get your PhD in industrial safety? I'm like, no, but I wouldn't mind going to get one in anthropology. And he goes, Lauren. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, see, there's a little touch there somewhere, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, even he recognizes it. I've been to a few book signings where, you know, they hustle you through like cattle Mm -hmm. to get a certain book autographed. Like that's the last place the author wanted to be. And I could tell, you know, they they just want to, then they weren't really into personalizing autograph, just here's my autograph and, or it was pre-autograph where you got to the table, you know? Right. Uh, So how much do you enjoy getting out there and meeting your readers and answering questions? I, I have to admit, I really do enjoy it to the point that I just drove 10 hours to go to a book. Well, it wasn't really a book signing. It was a, it was a podcast at a live show mm-hmm. oh, and, cool. and I just wanted to go and attend. And on my way there, I got the message that one of their ho- one of their guests wasn't going to be able to make it and asked if I could fill in for them. And I just happened to have books in the back of my truck or my, my SUV. So when I got there, they said, here's a table for you. If you want to sign books, you can here's what we'll do. And I actually was part of their live show and then got to, got to sign a lot of books. And I'm always happy to sign books. That's one of those things that just makes my little Arthur's heart just Mm -hmm. pitter patter. It's one of those goals we work for those that have had to go through the trenches and they sit there and they sign hundreds and thousands of books. I could see where they might not be as happy about it. Uh, I would happily take carpal tunnel syndrome uh, to have that kind of life. Uh, I'm not there yet, but, you know, I'm always happy to sign books. And I think the most I've signed in one book signing, which I, I, I visited with every single person who came through the line, I signed uh, 28 books in one book signing. So if you ever go to a book signing and you see an author sitting there by themselves, go talk to them, ask them what they write. Even if you don't buy their books, just visit with them. Right. We, that's the worst thing you can get is to sit at the table and have nobody come and talk to you. And they just stand and look at you from the corner. Then <laughs> their your characters become people they're in touch with you know yeah my characters are very real for me I've known Lauren and Rowan and the whole team since 2009 which is when I wrote the first book Uh, I have Lauren's contact information in my cell phone it's actually the number (laughs) for the San Diego Zoo there's a whole story behind that and the Jaguar Queen Mm -hmm. but I just I feel like they're real to me and it just didn't seem right not to have a number for them in my phone have you decided if there is going to be an end in sight to the Veritas Kodak series or have you not decided yet I've got 12 books either written or mapped out. I kind of know where this part of the series is going to end, but I don't believe in endings because I think every end is a new beginning. Mm -hmm. And I have so many options for which direction I could go uh, once I get to the end of that 12 book series that I really do believe I'll be writing this series until I'm not writing anymore. Okay. So do you plan on uh, like maybe going into a different type of book? series or you want to stick with just the one genre just with the uh, codex uh well my other book that i just wrote which is tentatively titled safe enough is a thriller it's not paranormal 
Uh, and I could very easily see that being a series. I just haven't found the second story yet, but I just finished the first one. So I'm not in a huge hurry with that. Mm -hmm. Is that one out yet or is it your It's not. I, I just finished it. I wrote it uh, and finished it in September and it hasn't gone through a solid editing pass. I pitched it at a writer's conference and there were no thriller agents in the room. So I didn't get any hits on it uh, from an agent, but uh, I have several people who have, are reading it now and have given me some feedback on it, but uh, it still needs a good editing pass. And I, there's a few things I, the longer I think about it, that I think I need to go back in and maybe just kind of fill in the gaps in the mortar and just kind of fine tune it so that it's the best book it can possibly be before I really start trying to get it out there. I've, I came across one with your name on it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I believe it's yours. It's uh, Christmas tapestry, tapestry. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a, an anthology that my publisher did last two years ago at Christmas. And there is a novella in it for the Veritas Codex that is, uh, it's set between um, the Alien Accord and the Monk's Grimoire. And it's called The Krampus Conspiracy. Okay. So it can tell you a little bit what that's about. But there's a couple of Easter eggs in there. So, but there's, there's a couple of Easter eggs in there that the readers might want to catch up on because that's going to become very apparent in book five, six, seven, eight, and let's see, no, five's already out. Six is out. It's going to be in seven, eight, and nine. So there's a big storyline that comes from that. I love bringing things full circle. Yeah. How did you get involved in that project? Uh, that was my publisher. Yeah. My publisher put that out and he asked uh, everybody in the publishing house if we wanted to write a novella to go in that so that we'd have something for the holidays. It's just kind of something evergreen that we could pitch every year. Just one of those little, little bits of income coming in my whole $2 and 60 cents, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Again, I'm not in it to get rich. So I wrote that one. And uh, then there's a couple other anthologies that I've done with another publishing house over at Anatolian press called autumn tales. And that one is a horror anthology. We've done it for two years now. And it's not at all related to the Veritas Codex. I've got two completely different stories in the two anthologies we put out. But that anthology, all the proceeds go to Collective Liberty to fight human trafficking. So the authors don't see a penny. Oh, really? And okay. it's, a, it's a, a horror anthology with a heart. Oh, that's cool. I listened to a portion of the audiobook of The Alien Accord. Mm -hmm. And I love the narrator. Yeah. Was that AI? No. No, that, that's a wonderful uh, audiobook narrator named Carrie Coelho, and uh, she did the first three books. We haven't decided what we're going to do yet with the next three. It's very expensive to put out an uh, audiobook. Mm -hmm. If they don't sell great, it's a little hard for everybody to get their money back on it. So we're just mm -hmm. kind of watching the revenue streams on that, just look and see. Where yeah, we I loved her Russian next. accent. That was fantastic. Yeah, she did a good job with that. <laughs> she she was able to pronounce KGB, whatever that word is in in Russian spelled out. I realized after I had finished writing that, that I had really set a challenge up for my audiobook narrator, because I don't think about that when I'm writing. And there's different languages and different accents, and it can be really hard for somebody um, to try to keep up with all those. And <laughs> I set a pretty high bar, but she did a great job. And just love her to death. And and I hear her voice now when I hear Rowan and Lauren. Right. You know, and I, I didn't catch her in the first couple. But I just mm -hmm. came across that. I'm like, because I used to be a huge uh, audiobook fan. You know, I yeah. probably listened to more than I read. Me too. Uh, but now that I'm into reading, my wife and I, every night before we go to bed, we lie in bed for like an hour and we read 
our own little books, you know. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, so today I just was going through it, and I was like, wow, I listen, let me see. I, I don't know how I came across it, but it was just, uh, it, it was really great. I thought she did, yeah. did a great job. Yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. She brought my vision to life, so. <laughs> right, yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you work for KEBC Radio, mm -hmm. I, I see that you drafted the scripts for your guests. Did you find any certain artists was easier to work with than others? Right. So what I did for KABC radio was I would get to interview all the big country music stars for their magazine. And uh, I would also do um, reviews of their <clears throat> CDs. So, you know, they'd send me a CD, I'd listen to it, I'd write up a review and I got paid in CDs and concert tickets. That's, that's all the income I ever got oh, from, okay. <laughs> from working for the radio station. But, but there were some that were a lot easier to work with. Uh, I got to spend a whole afternoon with Neil McCoy who I just adore. He's the sweetest thing. He was so kind. And I uh -huh. had done my homework and this was back before we had internet. I couldn't Google him and find out, you know, what albums he had out. I mean, I actually had to go find magazine articles at the library, uh, what other people had written about him so that I was ready when I got to the concert hall and I got to do a really wonderful interview with him, spend the afternoon, just kind of hanging out. I think I was only supposed to be there for 30 minutes, but I think we ended up a couple hours just kind of hanging out and he was just so gracious and kind and I'm sure he had a million other things to go do but he was just very very sweet Brooks and Dunn were great um Shelly Wright was fantastic so yeah there there were there were some really nice people that I got to meet you know and it's you know I was very starstruck at the time I, mean, I was very young <laughs> it was a, a new emerging uh journalist and <laughs> you know so and it was just a part-time gig for me but I got to meet some really wonderful people just because of where I was and what I was doing. I had lunch with Shania Twain. I did a, I did a review for Shelly Wright for her very first CD when it came out and it appeared in the magazine and I'm sitting at home on one night and the phone rings and it's, it's her. And she's like, you've, you probably don't know who I am. I'm Shelly Wright. And I'm like, I know who you are. <laughs> she goes, well, I'm doing a concert in town tonight. I'd like you to come and be my guest. And uh, I learned the term schmooze that night because her manager wanted to get permission to use that article in her press package. And so I got schmoozed to, to get permission for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was delightful. She was the sweetest thing. And, and he was wonderful. And he gave me, you know, CDs from some of his other artists that were emerging. And so, you know, I was able to take them and, and listen to them and found some really good music that way. Did you do that in, in person or was it over the radio? Uh, I, most of the time I did the interviews in person. I, there was mm -hmm. only one or two that I actually did over the phone, but, mm -hmm. uh, but in person was really back then we didn't have internet. We didn't have zoom. We didn't have mm -hmm. uh, all these technologies that we have. This was in uh, 1991. <laughs> yeah, I can go back for so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I've been in entertainment, entertainment my whole mm -hmm. life, you know, playing in bands and open up yeah. for bigger artists and, uh, have my idols uh, kind of blow, uh, bubble blown out because they weren't my idol after I met them, you yeah, know, but, you know, I thought, you know, people that kind of blew your socks off, like you know, Alice Cooper, 
mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the limo with Alice Cooper and he was everything but what you see on stage. I've heard more people he, say that about him. Such a nice man. Yeah. Uh, he has had a hair, hairs up in a baseball cap and his big mm-hmm. like glasses on and he was on checking his uh, stock out for his uh, business. <laughs> you know, nice. so he, he was all business, like a business mm-hmm. Man, not Hollow yep. Scoop. Not the rock star. No, and it was like every all everything we talked about was everything but music, you know. And uh and I wasn't he says it was cool with him because I wasn't asking him all these same questions. He's asked six thousand times, you know. Right. And uh he wanted to know what kind of music I played. You know, he took interest in me, you know. That's cool. But you yeah. know, I was wondering, you know, because I seen you had some background in uh and we I think we talked about this before yeah. in the radio and you know, I said yeah. you wore many hats as far as like your career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've done a lot of different things from uh, I was an asbestos inspector. I've been a safety consultant, a safety enforcement officer. I run a nonprofit. I've um, done training in workplace safety. I went to cooking school. I worked in landscaping. <laughs> so, yeah, you name it. I've probably done it. <laughs> a lot of things I used to do. Mm-hmm. I was going through your blog today mm-hmm. and I love these three topics you touched you touched upon okay be nice be humble and be ready for anything that's my motto i love that thank you so many people are not nice humble or they're not ready yeah it's true especially in the world we live in yeah there and i know in the music industry the sharks out there you know oh yeah and same with writing you know whether it be traditional or self-publishing or hybrid or vanity whatever you're going to go with yeah yeah i've been really fortunate that uh that i've had the right people put in my path i you know you run across a little bit of everything and and there's scam there's scam artists out there there are people who will do you wrong first chance they get because they've been done wrong and you know two wrongs don't make a right so i don't believe in propagating that you know that kind of behavior we all need to be a little kinder we need to have a little more civility I have found that there are some creepy people out there and I, I tend to be pretty nice until you hit my buttons. I have a couple of buttons <laughs> that, you know, people will trigger and, and, and then I'm still not rude. I just, you know, there's a block button for a reason. <laughs> right. When you write, do you mm-hmm. do this in uh, the privacy of your own home? Do you go mm-hmm. someplace where you need seclusion? Yeah, I'm probably an oddball in that aspect. I can write anywhere. Uh, I have written at my son's high school football game. Uh, he's in the marching band, so I'm only there for the band. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't really care anything about the sporty thing that they do before the band, but I'm there for the band. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I have taken my my laptop and my iPad to the, uh, the football game, and I'll write uh, during the game and then stop when, when the band comes on. Um, so that's given me some some great storylines that have come from, you know, what I wrote while I was at the, at the, at the football game. Uh, I like to go to the coffee shop. Uh, on the weekends when it's quiet, uh, there's a little independent bookstore that I, I consider my home bookstore that's full circle in Oklahoma City, and they have a great little coffee shop in there. And so I've spent some some very happy hours surrounded by books, surrounded by readers, surrounded by people who love books uh, and coffee, which are like my top two mm-hmm. things. <laughs> so, you know, that's writing fuel. So I can I, I go to the bookstore quite a bit. I go to the coffee shop quite a bit but I can write anywhere. So I don't have to have silence and seclusion. Now there are times when I'm in the room, in the, in the jazz, you know, when I've got things going, I have a writing space uh, at home. I I renovated the guest room when my son moved out 
turned his room into the guest room. So now I have my Zoom-friendly office, the Veritas Codex headquarters, where I can get in here, put on my headphones, fire up some good music. Uh, I have a couple of soundtracks for whatever I'm working on usually. Just let the muse take me. And I've, I've spent an entire day in here uh, on a weekend just writing and writing and writing and um, I have a I have a refrigerator with my diet Dr. Peppers in it. <laughs> I got a drawer with my snacks in it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to leave my room. I can stay in here until, you know, until I need to go use the facilities or whatever. Do you have like maybe two o'clock in the morning, you, oh, you know, something came to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. Uh, I'll wake up from the weirdest dreams with an idea or, you know, I will lay in bed at night while I'm trying to fall asleep and go over a scene that is just not working and I know something's wrong and I can't quite figure it out. And sometimes I'll work that out. And I find if the answer, if, you know, if what I work out while I'm falling asleep is the right answer, I'll remember it in the morning. And I might jot down just a sticky note with the theme or the important point of whatever it was I was trying to remember. And I have sticky notes all over the place with those <laughs> little, that one little good idea on there. Um, the, the monk's grimoire, the one that I wrote in 23 days, the only thing that I had in mind for the ending was this one line that I had in a dream and I wrote it down the next morning on a sticky note and I still have it sitting here. And it, it was simply the devil had it coming. Wow. And that's what drove that writing frenzy that helped me finish that book in 23 days. So yeah, I do that too. You know, because, you know, talk to so many different authors, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, all all different types of styles, mm-hmm. just right off the cuff, you know, right, kind of right. happen that just pop into your book in one way or another. Yeah, in the writing community, the big question is: Are you a plotter or a pantser? Mm-hmm. Which is writing by the seat of your pants. And right. <laughs> there's actually a new term, and I like I like this new term better. There's the architect who plans out their book. They have a building plan. They lay it out. They know exactly what they're going to do. And then you have the archaeologist who just is going to go dig and see what they find. I consider myself an archaeologist with a dig plan. I at least know that there's something down there and I kind of know what I'm looking for. Uh-huh. And I'm going to dig until I find it. And if I find something extra that just happens to be a treasure, I'll use that too. Yeah, because I come across some of, the, some of the things you have in your books. It's like, wow, what did she, where did she get that from? <laughs> I read a lot. <laughs> Either you work for NASA or yeah. you know somebody who... I watch a lot of programs about science and I grew up watching Nova and Nature, all those shows that we had growing up with the, the cryptids and you know the unsolved mysteries. And so I, I'm, I'm very much into the details of it. And if I'm going to write about it, I want to I get inside of it and I will go to NASA's website. I, I did this with uh, the Alien Accord. I went to NASA's website and I, I kind of dug around in there until I found like they they have like some of their proposals and some of their, their plans for things. And they talk about, you know, what's going on with the, with the, the, the telescopes and the satellites and what's going on over at this, you know, what they're doing at this certain, you know, space station. And uh, most people don't know Oklahoma actually has a space station. We have a landing site for the space shuttle that's an old military base that if there's ever an emergency and they have to make an emergency landing, the space shuttle could land in Oklahoma. So Oklahoma produces more astronauts than almost any other state. Uh, And so I don't know any of the astronauts, but I've been to some of their museums. (laughs) And oh my gosh, when we got to go to the Smithsonian and go to the Air and Space Museum there, I was a kid in the candy store. 
it was so much fun. And I love going to museums because I'm a history buff and I, I want to see the history of things. Um, I just got back from New Orleans and we went to the World War II Museum and I was amazing. It was fascinating. And I'm hoping at some point I have, I have some stories from my grandfather and his um, brother-in-laws because they were all in the military from World War II. Mm. I'd like to write a book about that. But again, that's, that's a whole different animal than what I'm writing now. So I, I have to reteach myself how to write that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm the only member of my family that has not worked for the United States Air Force. <laughs> yeah. My dad, my bio dad, he was a uh, Air Force. Mm-hmm. I've been to the yeah. uh, right Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, yep. about three hour, four hour drive from here. But I went right after the uh, 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, last time I've been there. And I wanted to check out the uh, hangar ATM. They wouldn't, <laughs> l- they wouldn't let me near. And it <laughs> No, no. They, they will not, they do not mess around. I, I can tell you that we went down to, uh, to Roswell and we're kind of down in that area when you're on vacation, when the kids were little and my husband's like, let's go to area 51. I'm like, uh, no, we have the children in the car. We, we have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want my children to be orphaned just because we wanted to go see the aliens. What lies ahead for 2024? Oh, 2024. I'm hoping will be a very busy year. Um, Book seven, I'm hoping to have that finished and ready to go sometime in early 2024. I've got a couple of projects I'm working on with some friends that uh, I can't really talk about just yet, but I'm hoping to have a big announcement on that pretty soon. I'm still doing a lot of homework for some of that stuff. A book that we're writing together and uh, it's kind of, it's, it's still paranormal, but it's a little different than anything I've done before. Uh, I've never worked with a partner the way we're doing it now. So uh, for somebody who writes super fast, it's a little tedious, but I'm enjoying the journey and I'm just going by faith and, you know, everybody's doing a chapter at a time and, you know, then we'll compare notes and it's, uh, it's going to be really interesting. So then I'll start working on book eight, which I've already got, I've already got the first draft written. So it shouldn't be too hard to go through and just make some edits. Little things change with every book. Um, when you write quite a few books ahead, you kind of have to go back in and go, okay, pull back the reins. I've got to figure out something's different from when I wrote this because this changed in book three and this changed in book four and this changed in book five. And, you know, it's a, it's a domino effect. You got to go back in and update things. So I'll be working on that. And, you know, my goal is two books a year. I only got one out this year, but I also did an anthology and, you know, I still work a day job. I'm very busy with my, with my career and uh, family and travel. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a little behind schedule, but, um, you know, it's okay. I really don't have a deadline. My publisher is really flexible with me and my readers, my readers give me more of guff and probably my mother being the biggest one. Uh, she's already messaged me three or four times. When is book seven coming out? I'm sitting here waiting. Uh, so I send her all my friends <laughs> books and say, here, read this and tell me what you think. Read this, write me a review for this one. <laughs> help me out here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I need somebody to help me read all my things that, uh, that my friends send me, they, they would appreciate a review. So she's really good about helping out with that too. So yeah, sometimes your family can, friends can be your harshest critics, you know? Oh, but my mother's never been critical. She's always been very, very into what I write. She's always cool. been my first reader. And, and we, I think we all need that. We need somebody who believes in us. And uh, my mother was there uh, from the very beginning. She knew I'd be a storyteller. She had no idea I would hit the acclaim that I have, but uh, she's been there. She's enjoyed every one of the books. Uh, the first one's dedicated to her because she always encouraged me to write my own stories. 
So yeah, it's good to have that first fan kind of let you know you're on the right track. And she, you know, she'd let me know if I was completely off, but she just enjoys the journey as well. She likes the characters in the world that I've built. So. And you say, well, yeah, like maybe 12 books, maybe at least. That's the goal is 12 books. And then we'll reevaluate and see which direction I want to go because I've got, I'm setting up so many different potential other options to to carry the characters on yeah because it'll be hard to say goodbye to lauren or rowan oh no i i will i don't think i'll ever say and the baby and And the babies yeah yeah, i don't know if the baby's gonna grow up in the next books or oh yeah you'll uh, see the baby you'll see the baby again yeah what was the baby's name i can't remember uh that was the first one is henry 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 yeah yeah Yeah. uh there there's babies Babies, okay. Babies, <laughs> you get to you get to the the series. I intend to follow their lives together, and their you know the family grows, and you know I want it to be real in that aspect. You know, you've got paranormal investigators who are also parents and who also have careers and jobs, and all the challenges you know of a modern woman who's strong in her field, a husband who has to keep up with her, who wants to uh, love her the best he can. And, you know, in turn, she wants to do the same for him. And so, you know, those relationships are every bit as important as the as the fantasy and the mystery that comes along with it. So, yeah, I, that's my favorite part about writing the characters is, is they're real people that they, they talk to me. I mean, I, I I do a lot of my plotting when I go on my walks in the evening. Of course, this weather being so dark right now, I can't get my walks in. I have to do those either in the morning or ride my bike. But you know, I'll be, I'll be walking along and I'm, you know, thinking about characters or I'm working on a plot or I know a difficult scene's coming up and I'll have one of the characters come up behind me and say, you know, I have to die and it's okay. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. You can't right. make me. Right. And then they go and do it to themselves. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then some characters I write specifically so that they can ease my frustrations at the end of a hard day. <laughs> I'm going to take them out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I love your books. Thank love you. love your writing. I can't wait to get to, to book four. I have to finish these other two up from reading. <laughs> I get it. I get I, it. I, I had one one author just because she was on my show recently. She said, have you started my book yet? I said, not yet. I have it. It's in my mm-hmm. library. It's sitting here. You know. Yep. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a slow reader. And mm-hmm. I like I decipher what I read. My wife, she'll read yep. two books to my one. Right. And uh I just, I don't know how she does it, but, but anyway, uh, I yeah. enjoy your writing and I can't wait to have you Thank back you. on the show. We'll go over what I've read and uh, what you will have can, coming up in the future after that. You know, I, I look at you being a very busy person <laughs> and uh, I do uh, applaud you for uh, everything you get going on in your life and just being a fantastic writer and you deserve the, uh, uh, the best author of the paranormal and thriller series i mean that's that's awesome thank you so much that's so kind go to the links at the bottom of this episode any any place you want them to go to get your books or absolutely the the best place to start to find me to connect with me is my website i'm very active on instagram facebook and twitter i also recently started tiktok i'm still trying to figure out my way over there but (laughs) i'm playing around with little book trailers and things like that. So you can follow me there, but you can get links to all that on my website, links to all my books, uh, Amazon, target.com, walmart.com, barnesandnoble.com. We print on demand. So uh, anywhere you buy books online, you can buy my books. Now, uh, can they get the books off your website? Uh, I don't sell them directly off the website, but the links will take you to uh, Amazon. Yep. What if a person want an autograph book? 
if they wanted an autograph book, um, you can reach out to me through my website, but you can also go to Full Circle uh, Bookstore here in Oklahoma City, their website. And all my books are on the shelf and they're all autographed and they can ship directly as well. I love to support the independent bookstores. This is a, a partnership. So anytime I can send somebody their way, it benefits me, it benefits them, it benefits the reader because they get a great book and it's already autographed. So yeah, absolutely. All right, Betsy, it's been my pleasure and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Al. Thank you, Betsy Kulikowski. Please go to the bottom of this page and check out all of Betsy Kulikowski's books. She is a fantastic author, writer, person, and I'm sure I'm going to have her back on the show again. This will be my last interview for the season. I'm taking the rest of the year off. I'll be back in January, starting season number six. In two weeks, I'll do a rundown of this past year. I hope you'll have fantastic holidays and take care of yourself. Thank you very much. This is Al Cooley from Ghost in the Valley Podcast. (laughs) 